And now, Lindell TV brings you The Stone Zone with legendary Republican strategist and political icon and pundit Roger Stone. Stone has served as a senior campaign aide to three Republican presidents. He is a New York Times bestselling author and a longtime friend and advisor of President Donald Roger Trump. Stone. As an outspoken libertarian, Stone has appeared on thousands of broadcasts, spoken at countless venues, and lectured before the prestigious Oxford Political Union and the Cambridge Union Society. Due to his four-plus decades in the political and cultural arena, Stone has become a pop culture icon. And now, here's your host, Roger Stone. Welcome. I'm Roger Stone, and yes, you are back in the Stone Zone. Pardon me if I'm fighting a touch of a laryngitis, uh, but with all of the going on last night uh, and into the wee hours of the morning, uh, I was talking much too much about the historical events of the last 24 hours. As I'm sure you know by now, we had a test of the National Wireless emergency alert system this afternoon. Uh, and uh, so far, I have not become an apocalypse zombie. Uh, I would be less than honest if I didn't tell you the truth and say that members of my own family chose to wrap their phones uh, in, uh, in uh, aluminum foil, or in some other cases, wrap them in aluminum foil and put them inside the microwave because they weren't taking any chances. Uh, I am uh, I'm agnostic on this entire question, uh, but I hope everybody will be well, and I'm uh, glad that we are through that. Uh, if you're into politics, uh, then the last 24 hours have really been quite extraordinary. Uh, it was interesting to watch the gnashing of teeth last night on Fox and other legacy, legacy media outlets as Republican establishment types opened up on Matt Gates. I'm thinking specifically of one-time firebrand, but now time, now a swamp creature, Newt Gingrich, for example. Uh, I think it is outrageous uh, for anyone to say that Matt Gates acted out of self-interest or a personal agenda uh, to garner publicity for himself or to raise money or raise his political profile. I agree with my good friend, General Michael Flynn, who said that Congressman Matt Gates has exemplified extraordinary leadership when such leadership is so sorely needed. Uh, in fact, um, I believe before this is over, there will be an attempt at retribution against Matt Gates for taking a bold and correct stand. Matt Gates and I have had our own disagreements, but on this issue, he stands head and shoulder above his colleagues on a matter of principle. Uh, let me point out that Kevin McCarthy uh, only became a speaker after making agreement uh, with a band of rebels led by Matt Gates, and unfortunately, Speaker McCarthy did not keep his commitments. We do not have single-issue spending bills. We've taken no action on term limits. He's taken no definitive action to seal our southern border, which is a crisis at this point. Uh, and it turns out he was dealing behind our back to deliver billions more to the war in Ukraine. So it was Kevin McCarthy who chose to end his speakership. Uh, and it was Matt Gates who had the courage and the strength to keep his word. 
if it weren't for Matt Gates, uh, we wouldn't even have the current rules uh, that allow any member to make a motion to vacate the chair. In other words, remove the speaker. By the way, it was that way for a hundred years until Nancy Pelosi changed it to try to make herself safe. Uh, and under the rule change that she operated in, it would have required a majority of the Democrat or majority caucus to uh, move to vacate the chair. Uh, Kevin McCarthy wanted to keep it that way, but he was uh, unsuccessful, giving us uh, a democratized small d process in which any member uh, was entitled to make uh, such a motion. Uh, many uh, said that Matt Gates would not do so, that he was bluffing or that he was playing to the crowd. Uh, I actually thought that he would always make the move, and indeed he did, and has now changed uh, the trajectory uh, of history. Joining me to help break this down and also try to suss out the way forward is Troy Smith, who is the editor in Smith uh, editor-in-chief, pardon me, of Rare.us, and he joins me to discuss this and other matters now. Roger, it's an honor to be here on this historic day, just after, you know, that we had one of the biggest days in uh, American political history yesterday. So to be here with you on this show to discuss this matter is a true honor. So thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. It has so many facets. There's a lot to talk about. First of all, uh, let us pay homage to the gang of eight, uh, those courageous Republican members of Congress that include Matt Gates, obviously, Eli Crane, surprisingly, but uh, I'm glad to see Nancy Mace, Tim Burchette, Andy Biggs, Matt Rosendale, Ken Buck, and Bob Good. These people are heroes, uh, but they're being vilified uh, in the establishment media uh, as if uh, everything was going great. Well, everything was going great if you favored the policy of the Uniparty. Everything was going great if you wanted to pass massive spending bills without any controls or accountability, uh, or if you wanted to ship billions of dollars more to Ukraine. It is symbolic that only today we learn that the acting speaker, uh, whose name is uh, Patrick McHenry, uh, moved to uh, strip from former Speaker Nancy Pelosi and former Majority uh, Whip Steny Hoyer, uh, their much coveted hideaway offices. Let me explain this. Um, I once worked uh, in the U.S. House of Representatives uh, as a legislative assistant for Congressman Robert Steele of Connecticut, uh, and uh, the Capitol uh, and the Capitol tunnels uh, are littered with these very prestigious private hideaways. So a member has uh, their uh, formal office as a member of Congress. They have uh, their leadership office if they're a speaker or the whip, but then they're also entitled to a tiny but very prestigious private office that is uh, reserved for them as a perk. Uh, these offices change hands when majority control changes hands. So why Kevin McCarthy was allowing Nancy Pelosi uh, and Steny Hoyer, Democrat of Maryland, uh, to remain in these cushy uh, uh, quarters really remains to be seen. I think it is symbolic of the uniparty control of the Congress. 
um, before we get into uh, kind of figure out where we go forward, uh, why don't we stop there and let you uh, make a comment, Troy? Well, you know, Roger, uh, looking at the uh, the interviews being put out about today, uh, preparing for this interview, I came across one in particular with David Joyce from Ohio, and he was on uh, CNN basically saying that they want to expel Matt Gates, kind of like as you alluded to in the intro here. And, you know, I think that that is just the Republican establishment kind of completely taking off the mask and telling the American people, no, we are working with the Democrats. And and at the same time, by the way, this is a guy that's claiming that Matt Gates is working with the Democrats. Now, you just ran through it, Roger. Kevin McCarthy gave the Democrats their 87,000 IRS agents. Under Kevin McCarthy's leadership, we've seen no progress at the southern border. It continues to get worse and worse. And then after he's removed, we have people like Lindsey Graham on Twitter saying, because of the chaos in the House, we are never going to be able to deal with the southern border. Well, you weren't dealing with it already. So many things that the American people voted Republicans into office for in 2022 to combat the Biden administration, to combat the growing government, haven't been accomplished under Kevin McCarthy. So for David Joyce and these other Republicans that want to attack Matt Gates and say Gates acted selfishly, Gates did this, Gates did that, Gates acted for the American people who are tired of seeing no progress in government. We're not seeing any progress towards what we sent these people to Washington, D.C. for. And until that changes, I hope we see more votes. We can't have a speaker that allies with the Democrats on every single major issue and doesn't even make them leave their prestigious offices as is custom throughout history, Roger. It's just unbelievable stuff that you have these disgusting Republicans attacking Matt Gates for making a stand for the American people. It shows the hatred that the political class in Washington, D.C. has for the American people. Bipartisanship in Washington, D.C. is only under hatred of the American people. Uh, I could not uh, agree uh, more. Uh, I am in awe of just the outright talent of, uh, of Matt Gates. I saw an extraordinary interview uh, between Matt Gates and Maria. Bartiromo, someone I have also have enormous respect for, about a week ago, that was a master class in how to handle a hostile interview. We've got a couple clips here of Matt Gates, who I think has handled himself extraordinarily well. Uh, let's roll these. Mr. Speaker, my friend from Oklahoma says that my colleagues and I who don't support Kevin McCarthy would plunge the House and the country into chaos. Chaos is Speaker McCarthy. Chaos is somebody who we cannot trust with their word. The one thing that the White House, House Democrats, and many of us on the conservative side of the Republican caucus would argue is that the thing we have in common, Kevin McCarthy said something to all of us at one point or another that he didn't really mean and never intended to live up to. I don't think voting against Kevin McCarthy is chaos. I think $33 trillion in debt is chaos. I think that facing a $2.2 trillion annual deficit is chaos. I think that not passing single-subject spending bills is chaos. I think the fact that we have been governed in this country since the mid-90s by continuing resolution and omnibus is chaos. And the way to liberate ourselves from that is a series of reforms to this body that I would hope would outlast 
Speaker McCarthy's time here would outlast my time here and would outlast either of our majorities. Reforms that I have heard some of the most conservative members of this body fight for and some of the reforms that we've been battling for that I've even heard those in the Democrat caucus say would be worthy and helpful to the House, like open amendments, like understanding what the budget is. We have been out of compliance with budget laws for most of my life, most of many of your lives. And by the way, if we did those things, if we had single-subject bills, if we had an understanding on the top line, if we had open amendments, if we had trust and honesty and understanding, there would be times when my conservative colleagues and I would lose. Might be a few times when we'd win. There'd be times that we would form partnerships that might otherwise not be uh, really predictable in the American body politic, but the American people would see us legislating. These last few days, we've suspended the momentum that we had established the week earlier, where we were bringing bills to the floor, voting on them, staying late at night, working hard. That's what the American people expect. It's something Speaker McCarthy hasn't delivered, and that's why I've moved to vacate the chair. I reserve. My colleague says we've passed the strongest border bills in history. Well, guess what? Look at the border right now. We didn't use sufficient leverage in the debt limit or in any other thing to actually get results on the border. The border is a disaster, really something I don't think you're going to be campaigning on that you fixed the border. Second, you said you streamlined regulations. What the gentleman from Louisiana doesn't tell you is that all of the regulatory reform he was just bragging about is waivable by the stroke of a pen of someone in the Biden White House. Do you really think you've got anything for that? It's a total joke. And then finally, the welfare to work that the gentleman from Louisiana said we got. The welfare programs that they said that they streamlined with their welfare to work stuff, they're actually going to grow. Because while they did work requirements, they blew out those programs with expanded eligibility. I'm real glad you guys didn't put work requirements on Medicaid. It probably would have resulted in Medicaid expansion. And when it comes to how those raise money, I take no lecture on asking patriotic Americans to weigh in and contribute to this fight from those who would grovel and bend knee for the lobbyists and special interests who own our leadership, who have, oh, boo all you want, who have hollowed out this town and have borrowed against the future of our future generations. I'll be happy to fund my political operation through the work of hardworking Americans, 10 and 20 and $30 at a time, and you all keep showing up at the lobbyist fundraisers and see how that goes for you. I reserve. A reference to the fact uh, that Congressman Matt Gates, uh, from his time in Congress, does not accept uh, PAC contributions, nor does he expect uh, accept any special interest uh, contributions. Uh, he has relied on mass-based, low-dollar fundraising, which gives him uh, an extraordinary level of independence. Uh, now let's go to the larger question of what happens now. Uh, I think it is unfortunate that the Republicans are going to recess. I would have preferred that they stay in session and uh, select uh, a speaker so we can get on with the people's business. Uh, the Democrats, first of all, will exult uh, in this uh, in this time out, gives them time for mischief, by the way. Uh, but we have uh, a number of candidates uh, that are 
appeared to be making themselves available. Most interesting, of course, uh, a terrific interview on WABC radio last night with Congressman Troy Nels, who says that he intends to put the name of former President Donald Trump uh, into nomination for the position of speaker. Now, for those of you who are unaware, under the House rules, one need not be a member of the House to be Speaker of the House. So technically, of course, Donald Trump could be a Speaker. This is not the first time this has come up. I suggested it uh, the last time that there was a vacancy after the Republicans won control. Thought it would have been a good idea then. Think it would be a great idea now. Here's a quick bite of Donald Trump talking about this yesterday in New York. Who should be Speaker? Uh, Who should be speaker? Who should be speaker, Mr. President? Uh, a lot of people have been calling me about speaker. All I can say is we'll do whatever's best for the country and for the Republican Party. Would you take a job? We have some great, great people. Would you take a job? A lot of people have asked me about it. I'm focused. You know, we're leading. I don't know you. I'm sure you don't read too much in the papers. But we're leading by like 50 points for president. Now, my focus is totally on that. If I can help them during the process, I would do it. But we have some great people in the Republican <clears throat> Party that could do a great job as Speaker. Well, what about Marjorie you? Taylor Green called for you to be Speaker yesterday. Did you accept? Yeah, I think she's a wonderful woman. Marjorie. A lot of other people are calling for that, too. I'll do whatever it is to help, but my focus, my total focus is being President and, quite honestly, making America great again. Because we are living in a country in decline. This is a country that's failing badly. We're not respected in the world. Interest rates are through the roof. Taxes are through the roof. Inflation is horrible. What it's done to us is eating us alive. Energy is now over $5. I was at $1.87. It's over $5. What's happened to our country with Afghanistan, that horrible removal, the most embarrassing moment, I think, in our country's history. So, I'm running for president. I'm up by 40 and 50 points and more in some cases. But whatever I can do to help with regard to speaker is good. By the way, I'm also leading Biden by a lot. If I wasn't, I wouldn't have trials like this. Thank you very much. Uh, vintage uh, Donald Trump uh, basically saying he's available. Uh, I think that that uh, result is unlikely as much as I might want to see it. Uh, a thought on that, Troy? Uh, well, when we're looking at, you know, uh, Trump, the idea of Trump being a speaker, you know, the initial thing that comes into my mind is we have become uh, so centric on Trump in the party. And it's, I think, by necessity, because we don't have, you know, these people with integrity like him. And, and therefore, because he's a man of integrity and maybe the only one that we have, uh, everybody initially wants to say Trump for speaker, Trump for speaker. Um, I think that there are some people that are a little under the radar that would be pretty good for the job. Um, I think that we need to move forward as a party, uh, as, as a group that is going to expand on Trump's policies, Trump's ideas, like, like, and, and not, be some, not be a party that's attacking him, you know, as, as the DeSantis people do, as they claim it's about Trump's ideas. You know, they're just dishonest liars when it comes down to it. But uh, the, the main point here is that people want Trump to be speaker because he's a man of integrity. And I think he respects that. He, he knows the honor that that is to have his name put in there. But I think he, of all people, would like to see the Republicans put somebody that's going to push his agenda, that's going to 
to push back against the Biden agenda and really take a stand for the American people alongside him when he wins re-election in 2024. I think it is uh, unlikely that the party turns to him. One of the uh, things that uh, Sean Hannity said last night, uh, which I agreed with, is that one needs to recognize the diversity of the Republican caucus and therefore getting 218 votes behind any one member is going to be a chore. Uh, we do have 18 House Republican members who were elected in districts that were carried by Joe Biden. Uh, I actually think that in reality, when it comes to the question of the impeachment of uh, Joe Biden or even the more aggressive investigation of Hunter Biden, um, that has been one of the detrimental factors. We'll get into that uh, a little bit later. You have a very important piece up at Rare.us about the Hunter Biden investigation, uh, but we'll come to that. Uh, now what I'd like to do is to try to handicap who is likely to be the next speaker. By the way, this just in, uh, Senator Mitch McConnell, the Senate uh, minority leader, says uh, that he doesn't know who the next speaker will be, but whoever it is, he hopes he will do away with the rule allowing any member to make a motion for uh, the vacation of the chair, proving uh, yet again uh, that the House rule uh, decided on by House Republicans and pushed by Congressman Matt Gates was uh, absolutely correct. Those in the Uniparty, uh, those who are indeed rhinos when it comes to spending uh, and other crucial issues, uh, they really are all parts of the swamp, and there is no swamp creature uh, greater perhaps than Senator uh, McConnell, uh, who clearly uh, is in poor health. Uh, anyway, I wanted to, uh, I just, that just came across my desk. Uh, let's try to now look at, at these candidates. You have a very important piece up. Uh, Steve Scalise, uh, who is the whip, uh, really has been the enforcer for Kevin McCarthy, uh, has announced that he is running. But you have a, a breaking story uh, that reveals uh, that Congressman Scalise of Louisiana has taken very substantial campaign contributions from a number of very, very strange sources. Tell us about this. Well, Roger, uh, for people to understand this, first of all, Bill Gates donated to Steve Scalise's campaign. And we have the donation. It's on Rare.us. Everyone can check it out. It's in the link. We include the screenshot of the contribution. So I think the first question people need to ask themselves is, why would Bill Gates donate to Steve Scalise unless Steve Scalise is ready to play ball with people like Bill Gates? And if that's the case, is this somebody we want as our speaker? I think not. And when you look deeper into his donations, you'll see donations from a man named Paul Singer. Now, Paul Singer uh, dumped millions of dollars into Marco Rubio's campaign in 2016 in an attempt to derail Trump. And this guy even has serious ties to the research that was used uh, in the Steele dossier, which of course we know was used to attack Trump throughout his presidency. So uh, we have this kind of picture of Paul Singer where he is dumping money into candidates as Trump's running in 2016. When that fails, he begins funding opposition research that is used in, in the, the Trump-Russia hoax. And this guy is a donor to Steve Scalise's campaign. Um, and, I, and I think uh, we, we touched on this uh, I touched on this in a call that I had with a friend today, and it sounds like Paul Singer and Ron DeSantis 
will also be fundraising together. So when we're looking at a Steve Scalise potential speakership, um, it's hard to really tell a difference between uh, himself and Kevin McCarthy. And not only that, but with the rhino Republican establishment that we uh, really stuck it to by removing McCarthy. So I believe, you know, looking at these donations, looking at all the information here, uh, Steve Scalise would be a tremendous disaster for this country if he were to ever become Speaker of the House. And I think that he is really a continuation. You know, uh, I, I saw an interview today where we had one of the uh, eight Repo or the 11 Republicans that voted against uh, this. We had them come up and say, basically, uh, that that we're, we're looking at a situation where uh, we have for the first time in many decades, it's not just a handover. It's not an, 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 an uh, appointment, basically. It's not a chosen person. We have a, we have a situation where we can pick a speaker. And, and, and to me, Steve Scalise is almost like the runner up to McCarthy that rev never really got there because McCarthy was taken down. So uh, if we go with Steve Scalise, uh, we're, we're, we're basically just handing the baton to the same party. And that's kind of evident by the donations here. Yeah, look, I have great uh, sympathy for Steve Scalise. He was, as I think anybody knows, uh, the victim of a gunshot attack uh, while playing softball for the House Republicans uh, by some demented uh, Bernie Sanders supporter. Uh, while he has recovered from those wounds, uh, I have read that he is uh, now fighting cancer, having uh, someone in my own family go through an epic battle with cancer. I sympathize with him. But on issue after issue, um, he is identical uh, to Kevin McCarthy. So why we would not end up exactly in the same place that we are today uh, with a Scalise speakership is hard to say. Uh, the the inside favorite uh, within the last 12 hours seems to be Congressman Jim Jordan. Now, it is significant uh, that uh, Matt Gates said on social media uh, that Jordan was a candidate he could support. Once again, going back to the analysis of uh, Sean Hannity last night, uh, you need someone who can win the great bulk of the establishment Republicans, but also bring along the rebels uh, to get to 218. Uh, and the Democrats are going to enjoy our discomfort until we do that. Uh, I like uh, Jim Jordan. Uh, I think he's done a good job in the Hunter Biden investigations in the Judiciary Committee, but I do not think he's done a great job. Uh, but we don't know to what extent he's been bridled by Kevin McCarthy. Um, I was among those who was sent a subpoena to testify for the phony January 6th committee. Uh, I fulfilled my legal obligations uh, by showing up. Uh, I chose to assert my Fifth Amendment rights, not because I did anything wrong, not because I had anything to hide, but I have firsthand experience with the House Democrats' ability to take something you say and then twist it into a process crime. Uh, and I was not willing to take that risk. Uh, uh, again, also point out that the House Democrats, uh, when they had control of the uh, Select Committee on Intelligence uh, in the phony Russian collusion investigation, had no compunction about bringing Donald Trump Jr. Uh, and many others uh, before that committee. Uh, so I, I kind of wonder, my question for both uh, Congressman Jordan and Congressman Comer from Kentucky, both of whom I think have done a good job, but not as good a job as uh, Jason uh, Smith, uh, 
why has Hunter Biden not been subpoenaed? Why has his why no subpoena for public testimony uh, from his uh, partner, Mr. Bobolinsky, who I think is very compelling? Uh, why not a subpoena for Joe Biden himself? Uh, I recognize that there would be a separation of powers argument, but that is a fight that we ought to have. Uh, Jordan, I think, uh, may be the candidate who can unite uh, the party establishment uh, along with the rebels. But if Jim Jordan is going to be a carbon copy when it comes to policy and rules and procedures and the way forward to uh, Kevin McCarthy, then I suspect that we'll be right back where we started from uh, yesterday. Uh, Your thoughts on a Jim Jordan speakership? Well, I think of the candidates right now that we have that people said they want, they're, they're going to be seeking this position. Jim Jordan seems to be uh, pretty obviously the, the top candidate that we have. I think, you know, what I was looking for, Roger, is is in uh, is overlap. So we saw people like Lauren Boebert jump ship. You know, she was one of the initial people that was standing up to Kevin McCarthy. And there, there's been reports by Laura Loomer that she received, you know, tens of thousands of dollars from Kevin McCarthy. Um, and, and all of a sudden her vote changes. And so of these people that voted against McCarthy this time, I'm looking for overlap. And what you find is Matt Gates, and you also find Andy Biggs. And this is a guy that I know was talked about as House Speaker, uh, you know, as, as possibly, you know, one of the challengers initially. And I'd be interested to see if he's, you know, a name that they throw in the ring too. I, you know, anybody that, that has stood up to Kevin McCarthy, not once, but twice, has shown that they have the integrity that it takes to be a leader. And uh, so I, you know, I know that Matt Gates said that he does not want to be speaker, but as far as I'm concerned, I think that's the guy that has shown he has the potential to, uh, to, to, to lead. He has the potential to make things happen. And in a day and age where we have Republicans that do absolutely nothing, uh, when you have one that actually does its job and you, you have somebody that actually does their job and they represent their people, you have to support them and you have to elevate them to leadership positions. So I think, you know, uh, Jim Jordan would be great, but uh, I would much rather see somebody like Matt Gates or Andy Biggs. Uh, unfortunately, while I agree with you, I think it is very clear that none of the uh, of the eight. Uh, let's show those pictures if we could. Uh, those uh, members of Congress who I think changed history yesterday, uh, those being uh, Matt Gates, uh, Eli Crane, Nancy Mace, Tim Burchett, uh, Andy Biggs, Matt Rosendale, Ken Buck, and Bob Good. Uh, there are uh, those valiant Americans. Uh, unfortunately, I don't think any of them uh, are capable of garnering the support uh, of the establishment Republicans. Uh, that you would need to cobble together 218 votes. Uh, The other name that has surfaced uh, that interests me, uh, but for which there is a very substantial uh, uh, downside, uh, Kevin Hearn of Oklahoma, uh, who is uh, a good man, who is an America first supporter, uh, who is a Trump supporter, has said that he is uh, interested in the position and that he would be a candidate. The problem with that is that Congressman Hearn uh, committed that he would serve only three terms. He has now served his three terms, uh, and people back in the Sooner State uh, were under the assumption that he was going to keep his commitment uh, and not seek another term. In other words, he self-term limited himself. There seems to be uh, none of that mentioned in the discussion 
of the possibility of Kevin Hearn uh, as a candidate for speaker. Uh, I'm not sure how that will shake out. Uh, let's turn now to the situation in New York. Uh, minutes ago, President Donald Trump, who is not required to be present for this civil trial, for this travesty of a civil trial, uh, has announced that he will return to Florida. Uh, I think that he has uh, faced an extraordinary situation, uh, almost an Alice in Wonderland type thing, where uh, the judge made decisions and found against him, basically declaring him and his company uh, and his uh, family members guilty prior to the trial. So first we'll have the verdict, then we'll have the trial. That uh, seems, uh, you know, very Mad Hatterish to me. Uh, the idea uh, that a hostile judge uh, is able to declare uh, the value of Trump's, the Trump Organization's various real estate assets uh, at below market values that no competent real estate appraiser agrees with kind of shows that this is a, a railroad. Uh, and then we learn that the attorney general, Letitia James, uh, who is a raw partisan who, who ran on a platform of, quote unquote, getting Donald Trump long before she had any evidence of wrongdoing uh, by Donald Trump, uh, seems to have missed the fact that in 80 percent of the matters that she raised in her indictment, the statute of limitations had already run. So uh, from a uh, from a legal point of view, and I'm not an attorney, uh, this whole thing, I think, seems quite unfair, which means I think it seems unfair to the average viewer. I've known Donald Trump for 45 years. I don't think I have ever seen him as angry uh, as he appeared to be outside the courthouse. Let's uh, let's play that video, if we may. Justice in our country. 
This trial is a disgrace. Never happened. A thing like this has never happened before. And just simply, I put in financial statements with a disclaimer. In other words, don't even bother reading them to the bank. I borrowed money on, very under leverage, borrowed money on a building or something. Many different things. I borrowed the money, I paid back the money in full, 100%. There were no defaults, there were no letters of reprimand, the banks were extremely happy, and in many cases I paid the money back early. And then I got sued years later by this horrible attorney general, this woman that ran for governor and failed. You know, she did this because she was running for governor. And then she ran and she failed. She had no polls and they forced her out. And she came back and she became attorney general again. Uh, and we got stuck with it. So she brought the case under the statute that had never been used for a thing like this before, ever. We're not entitled to a jury. Because if I had a jury, even though it's in New York, and I think I'd be fine with New York, but if I had a jury, we'd win this case very easily. But I don't have a jury. And you see what's happening. This is a railroading. And it's the beginning of communism in our country. This is the beginning of communism. So, we're going back in. Playing the game and doing everything right. But just you remember. I borrow money. Statements were perfect. Not only perfect. The statements are much more conservative than my real net worth. My real net worth is much higher, not lower, much higher than the statements. So I put the statements in. They don't use the statements because it has a disclaimer clause. They do their own work. The clause tells them, do your own due diligence, do your own work. <coughs> That's where we are. And I got sued. And I hear I, I may be guilty of lot for no reason. They may give a lot of money for something where there was nothing wrong. This is a witch hunt. This is just a continuation of the witch hunt that started the day I came down the escalator in Trump Tower. And it's a shame for our country. You borrow money, you pay it back, the bank loves us. They said, what did he do wrong? He didn't do anything wrong. We loaned him money, a big bank. These are big banks, by the way. Represented by the biggest law firms, most prestigious, the best law firms in the country. You borrow money, you pay it back, and you get sued by a political animal. And that's where we are. And that's the way it goes. And that's why New York State is failing, and that's why companies are leaving by the thousands. I'll see you later. Is this is rigged. Because the judge knows whatever he's going to do. He said that Mar-a-Lago was worth $18 million, and it's worth $1.5 billion or thereabouts. But he said it was worth $18 billion. So they defrauded us because he called me a fraud. He called me a fraud, and he values Mar-a-Lago at $18 million. $18 million. And you can't do that. It's worth probably 50 to 100 times more than that. And our corrupt attorney general, she's totally corrupt. She just wanted the publicity to run for governor. And then she failed running for governor. She got no, she got practically nothing in terms of vote. But she went after Trump because she was running for governor. That's the only reason. But she got the judge to value Mar-a-Lago for $18 million. When the smallest house in Palm Beach is probably worth $50 million. 
And this is the biggest, the best anywhere in the country. There's nothing like it. So they put it down at 18 million. And they said, I, I overvalued it because we had it valued at a much lower number than it's worth. And by the way, my financial documents are valued much less than my actual value, which nobody even knows. But the financial documents that I gave to the bank are much less than my actual net worth. So therefore, I gave them to the bank. They can't be abroad because I gave them lower numbers. I'm probably one of the only people ever to seek a loan. I didn't even need the loan because you see the kind of cash I have. I didn't even need loans. Maybe you don't do a deal or two. But we have a lot of cash, a lot of everything. You know, a lot of people are very surprised at how successful this is. You saw it today with the kind of cash I have and the kind of success we've had. But I'm a private company. I was never going to reveal this kind of stuff. But now it comes out. It comes out because a corrupt attorney general sued me for fraud. And then they found out they had no case. And they have no case. And today, if you read the New York Law Journal, they basically say they have no case against Trump. But I'm here, stuck here, and I can't complain. I'd rather be right now in Iowa. I'd rather be in New Hampshire, South Carolina, or Ohio, or a lot of other places. But I'm stuck here because I have a corrupt attorney general that communicates with the DOJ in Washington to keep me nice and busy because I'm leading Biden in the polls by a lot. That's all this is. This is election interference. They made up a fake case. They're fraudulent people. And the judge already knows what he's going to do. He's a Democrat judge. In all fairness to him, he has no choice. He has no choice. He's run by the Democrats. I know this city better than anybody knows this city. There's nobody knows it like I do. He's a Democrat judge out of the clubhouses. He's controlled, and it's a shame. What's going on here is a shame. Our whole system is corrupt. This is corrupt. Atlanta is corrupt. And what's coming out of D.C. is corrupt. But this is a good one because this one is interesting. Why attend? This one is very interesting. Why attend? Because I want to point it out to the press how corrupt it is because nobody else seems to be able to do it. They say there's no case here, but we have a corrupt attorney general that tried to make a case. Thank you very much. There you have uh, Donald J. Trump doing what he does best, uh, counter-punching. Uh, before we look at the latest polls, which would seem to indicate that this is backfiring very badly with the American people, uh, Troy comments on Trump's uh, performance in the court. Uh, as I said a few minutes ago, uh, he has just announced minutes ago, actually, that he will be returning uh, to Florida. Troy? Well, uh, Roger, when you're watching that clip, you're seeing a man who has done a specific thing his entire life. His entire life has been in properties and, and managing money and things like that. So for him to be subjected to this tremendous fraud in New York, um, it, it, it's got to be uh, just absolute torture 
for him because you're sitting there and Roger, just on a basic level, when you take loans out on a property or you're doing that, the bank does their own evaluation. It's not like you're doing your own valuation and then they just give you the money based on what you say. There are third parties that check these things. They check it themselves. I mean, we're talking about a system that is very heavily regulated, very heavily monitored. And the idea that he was out there just writing random numbers and, and inflating his wealth. And, and really, it shows you how desperate the Democrats have become, because now their argument has actually gone to Donald Trump isn't rich. Now, he doesn't have planes. He doesn't own Mar-a-Lago. He doesn't have a penthouse in New York. It's all fake. And if you watch MSNBC, you watch Jen Psaki, you watch these liberal idiots, that's literally what they say. They've gotten to the point where they're so delusional that, that they are saying he's not rich and they're actually suing him. Like this is a legitimate case where they are an illegitimate case where, where they are trying to stop him from becoming president of the United States again. This is election interference of the highest order. There's never been anything like it in the history of the United States. And it is exactly the reason why it's important that Kevin McCarthy is no longer speaker because these are not normal times. These are not the good old days. We are in a time of great need. We are in a time of great change. And right now, the leading presidential candidate in the, in the entire field, whether it's Joe Biden, whoever, is being attacked on every level by the justice system. And the only way that those in the DOJ and all these people are gonna be satisfied is if Trump is dead or in jail. And we both know, Roger, that Trump is never going to stop fighting. So I say to them, Donald Trump does not stand alone. We the people stand with Donald Trump and there are tens of millions of us out there that know exactly what is going on. So for the DOJ, for anybody out there that wants to continue to interfere in our elections, just know the American people's voice will be heard, our will will be done, and you will be removed from power. Uh, well, very well said. Um, I, I am of the belief that this particular case, which is a civil case, is backfiring badly. Uh, New York State uh, allows an interlocutory appeal. Uh, I, I'm highly confident that Trump's lawyers will appeal this. Uh, it could take several years for that appeal to play out. I don't think there's anybody on the face of the earth who believes that Donald Trump is not extremely wealthy, just like there is a no real estate appraiser in South Florida who believes that the palatial Mar-a-Lago club is only worth $18 million. Um, I spoke to uh, Steve McWilliams, uh, one of the most respected real estate appraisers in South Florida yesterday, who told me that the uh, value was certainly no less than $300 million, uh, but given both the fact that there is frontage on the intercoastal, uh, intercontinental, pardon me, the intercoastal uh, waterway uh, and the Atlantic Ocean, uh, the property was unique as well as being unique because uh, of its iconic status. So he actually thought it'd be almost impossible to put a, a number on it. It would be a very subjective number. But in no case did he believe it could be worth less than $300 million. He thought the actual value was closer to a half billion dollars. Uh, Trump uh, says it could be as much as a billion. Uh, the president is given to some hyperbole. That's because he's America's greatest salesman. Uh, but it is most definitely not worth $18 million. Let, let's look at some of the latest polls to see how this is playing. Uh, a, a new Quinnipiac poll 
uh, in the state of Pennsylvania, uh, a crucial battleground state, uh, has a Trump at 47, Biden at 45. Uh, but surprisingly, among independents, Trump is at 48 and Biden 39. Uh, considering the onslaught of negative publicity regarding Donald Trump, these numbers are quite uh, extraordinary. Pennsylvania, unfortunately, is one of the states where the lower courts uh, have held that mail-in balloting is clearly unconstitutional under state law, state constitution. Uh, the middle courts uh, agreed with that, but the state Supreme Court, which is extraordinarily liberal, uh, reversed that, allowing uh, mail-in voting. And then uh, Governor Josh Shapiro uh, announced last week that they would be allowing automatic voter registration uh, through the Department of Motor Vehicles. That means that if you went there to uh, renew your driver's license or to get a driver's license uh, or to register uh, a motor vehicle, um, that you would automatically be registered. Uh, no comment from Governor Shapiro about whether anyone is checking on your citizenship or your eligibility. Uh, let's uh, also look now uh, at the Pennsylvania Republican primary poll. Uh, this is shows uh, that uh, Trump now leads his nearest rival, uh, Ron DeSantis, 61 to 14, uh, with Nikki Haley, who I refer to as uh, George W. Bush uh, in heels, uh, at uh, eight, uh, Vice President Mike Pence uh, at four, I have no idea why he is running, uh, Chris Christie at four, I do know why he's running, revenge, uh, um, Vivek Ramaswamy, who, uh, whose 15 minutes, I believe, has kind of come uh, and gone, uh, registering at two. Uh, and uh, Tim Scott uh, of South Carolina sporting a beard uh, in uh, last week's uh, debate, uh, clocking in at 1%. Uh, and Doug Burgum, who I think many found as a breath of fresh air, uh, a uh, multimillionaire, perhaps even a billionaire governor from the bustling state of North Dakota at 1%. Um, uh, really quite extraordinary. Uh, here is uh, the Republican primary uh, by, this is a YouGov poll taken a post-debate, but uh, prior to these contretemps uh, in New York, uh, Donald Trump now at 58, a gain of five, uh, DeSantis uh, at 13, uh, Nikki Haley once again at seven, Vivek Ramaswamy showing slightly better at four, uh, Mike Pence uh, at three, uh, Tim Scott, the senator from South Carolina at two, uh, Christie at one, uh, and Burgum at one. Uh, Troy, I think it is time to end these debates. I think it's time for the Republican National Committee to cancel the upcoming debate uh, in Miami uh, and unite this party behind the candidate who is, uh, in all cases, leading by more than 30 uh, uh, points uh, across the board. Um, the debates are embarrassing. They're not high school debates. They're like junior high school debates uh, with candidates talking over each other, uh, with the moderators seeming not to be able to get any kind of modicum of control, uh, and with all of the candidates using these carefully memorized pre-scripted zingers that they're trying to make sound as if they are uh, somehow uh, instantaneous uh, or uh, on the spur of the moment. 
Do you think it's time to end these Republican debates? Oh, absolutely. Because like you said, uh, it, all that happens is it allows for people uh, that are fakes and frauds and have uh, contributed to the downfall of this country to read off a statement and seem like they're, you know, Chris Christie said something stupid about Donald Duck or something like that. And he got a bunch of press for that. Or Ron DeSantis goes up there and says his his speech that he's prepared and had written for him. Um, the, when you look at the debate stage, I think Donald Trump kind of put uh, the axe into that, you know, and it's, it's as far as they're concerned, he made it look ridiculous because he's real and they're not. And therefore, everything beyond that, everything past that has just been fake and, and, and a fraud. And uh, I agree 100 percent. They should take away these debates, especially in this election cycle, uh, because there's a clear winner. There's an absolute clear winner. And the idea that the Republican Party tried to distance themselves from Trump in the beginning and, and, and cuddle up with DeSantis and that didn't work, um, it needs to be something that the, the Trump supporters out there always remember because they didn't want to have Donald Trump as their nominee. They were forced to have Donald Trump as their nominee. And uh, that speaks to the uh, disdain that they have for us and what we believe in as Americans. All right, so we have about eight minutes left, and there's an important issue that I want to cover. Uh, as I said on this show uh, last week, I received a subpoena from Hunter Biden's $1,800 an hour lawyers. This subpoena is based on a false narrative that claims, uh, contrary to what the New York Post has already established, that a psychiatrist in Massachusetts, Dr. Keith Albo, who uh, I'm familiar with, uh, somehow obtained and cloned a copy of Hunter Biden's laptop. Hunter Biden was evidently a patient of his, uh, that he got this material to me, uh, that I gave it to, to my attorney, Tyler Nixon, who in turn gave it to John Paul McIsaac, uh, and the rest, of course, has been established by the New York Post. McIsaac uh, turned that information over to the FBI, but hearing nothing from the FBI uh, gave the information to the New York Post, or pardon me, to Mayor Rudy Giuliani, uh, who gave it to the New York Post, who published it. This is a fiction. Uh, you've heard it from me, but you interviewed uh, Dr. Albo. What did he say about this uh, narrative? It was, it was an honor to speak with uh, Dr. Keith uh, Ablo, and uh, he he basically uh, described what was uh, an unbelievable story. I mean, uh, he, he described to me that in 2019 he was treating Hunter Biden because of Hunter's crack uh, cocaine addiction and things of that nature. Uh, and and uh, as a patient, uh, Hunter came in and left his laptop in uh, Keith Ablo's office. And uh, Keith, you know, being a doctor, you know, he didn't open the laptop. He assured me that he didn't open it. He didn't look at it. He didn't, you know, open the lid. He just kept it. And then he took it to his house, um, transferred the laptop to his house. And just a few uh, days later, the DEA comes crashing into his house and confiscates the laptop. Um, and, and this is the troubling thing, Roger. You know, you laid it out there. You're being accused. Keith Ablo is being confused. And talking to Keith, he actually paid for his attorney to facilitate Hunter Biden's laptop getting back into his possession. He paid his lawyer to reach out to Hunter Biden's lawyer to ensure that Hunter knew that the DEA confiscated his laptop. Um, and the accusations being made by Kevin Morris and Hunter Biden's legal team are just amazing because this is a piece of technology. This is a laptop. It's a living 
it's a it's a it's a almost a living electronic machine where you could do a forensic analysis and you could figure out when it was turned on, when it was turned off, when it was opened. So any accusation without proof that this laptop was even opened in the possession of Keith Ablo is completely false. It's complete conjecture and there's no evidence to support that whatsoever. Not only that, but we got Keith Ablo on the record saying that he never opened it, saying that he never had the thing uh, opened and that he never talked to it, not only with anybody, but especially with you, because that's a that's a key part of this. They claim that that Keith passed it to you and he said, I never discussed the Hunter Biden laptop with Roger until the New York Post reported the story. And you told me the same thing. The only uh, information that you knew about this Hunter Biden laptop was through the Post story. So if if simply reading uh, in the Post that Hunter Biden, you know, about Hunter Biden's laptop story, if that is grounds for a subpoena like you've received, then every American should be expecting a subpoena in this because this was one of the biggest political scandals in the last 20 years. You know, so uh, I, I think, you know, talking to both of you, it, it just seems like Kevin Morris and Hunter Biden's legal team are looking to not only deflect blame from Hunter Biden for the evidence that's present in the laptop, but to also use this as an avenue to p attack their political enemies and attack people uh, that may be loose ends in the uh, at, at the end of the day. You know, people that that Hunter looks at and, and say, oh, well, he's not supporting my father, you know, their political opposition. And it seems to me pretty clear that's what this is about. It's about going after the political uh, opposition of Hunter Biden and his family and also, uh, you know, getting blame away for Hunter Biden for the evidence that's been you know publicized from that laptop. Yeah, clearly a strategy of deflection and distraction. Everything I know about the contents of Hunter Biden's laptop, I read about in the New York Post. Uh, the content never passed through my hands. I was unaware of it until I read about it in the New York Post. I have said this consistently, but what I have now is a fishing expedition uh, in which Hunter Biden's very expensive lawyers are demanding that I hand over all kinds of things that actually don't exist. It means I have to go out and hire a Delaware attorney since this matter is being brought in the Superior Court of the State of Delaware. It's harassment. I also think it's because, let's face it, I am clickbait. Oh, look over there, Roger Stone's involved. No, I have no involvement. It's also meant to have a chilling effect. In other words, they don't want us talking about the shocking contents of this laptop here on the Stone Zone or on my WABC radio show, which is heard on Sundays from 3 to 5 uh, in the afternoon at WABCradio.com. Uh, this is uh, an effort to, to have a chilling effect on my free speech rights. I'm going to continue to cover this. Uh, it is outrageous. I'm indebted to you for doing a deep dive on all these facts. You can find that story uh, at rare.us. Uh, let me thank uh, Troy Smith, uh, the editor-in-chief uh, of rare.us, for joining us today for a great breakdown on not only the historic events in the U.S. House of Representatives, where uh, Congressman Matt Gates has very valiantly kept his word uh, to uh, vacate the chair, 
uh, where Kevin McCarthy has been turned out of power and where the Republican Party now struggles to find a new leader who will uh, keep uh, their word to the Republican voters across America. Uh, we are out of time. Let me thank my guest, uh, Troy Smith. I'm Roger Stone. This has been uh, The Stone Zone. We we got so in the weeds today, we have a chance to ask you to go to MyPillow.com. So I'm going to do it right now very quickly. MyPillow.com is our host and sponsor for this program, whether it is the uh, fabulous MyPillow 2.0, the dog beds, the pet blankets, the all-season slippers, the MyPillow sandals, uh, the waffle blankets, the throw blankets, any of the great products to support what we do here to help me pay uh, that bill to the Delaware attorney to fight this outrageous attempt to, to smear me by Hunter Biden's lawyers, please go to MyPillow now and use promo code STONE when you do. Until tomorrow, God bless you and Godspeed. You're still looking good. I'm still feeling good. You know, I've got all your MyPillow products. Mattress topper, bed sheets, MyPillows, towels, slippers, blankets, sleepwear. Dog whoa, bed. whoa, Charles. Everyone now can get MyPillow products at huge discounts at MyPillow.com. That's right. Now's the time to go to MyPillow.com or call the number on your screen. Use your promo code to take advantage of our three-in-one sale. We're bringing you exciting new products, overstock specials, and closeout deals you won't find anywhere else. For example, when you buy one of our brand new MyPillow 2.0s, you get another one absolutely free. And with our overstock sale, you save 50% on our luxurious Giza Dream bed sheets. That's as low as $29.99 for the best sheets ever. And with our biggest closeout special, you get our all-season slippers for only $35 or our sandals and slides for just $25. Quantities are limited and once they're gone, they're gone.